Welcome. You're the host. I'm just. I am the host. We're both the hosts. Here for my good looks. <laughs> no, you have a face for radio, apparently. So that means the opposite. Means I'm ugly. <laughs> um, welcome to that true crime podcast. <laughs> That's what we're called. Um, pretty much, I'm obsessed with true crime. And he is not. I am not obsessed. And um, has to hear about it all the time. But he doesn't really listen. No, so we so thought... Who knows what I'll come up with. No, we thought if we do a podcast, he kind of has to listen to me. So it's a good excuse to <laughs> to be heard, pretty much. Yeah, let's let's see what happens. What do, you, what do you think about... Like, I'm obsessed with murder, right? Like, obsessed. Not in a negative way. Like, I think they're horrible people. And we have to, like, remember there's victims. Like, it's not... I'm not praising the murderers. They're disgusting. You just disgusting. like the, the gory bits in the blood. Yeah, I find it interesting. You know, severed heads and yeah, whatnot. Pretty much. find it super interesting and like what the heck, like what could be going on in their brain? I just, how, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's messed up, but I love it. What are your thoughts? On murder. What I just said, yeah. Um, I'm not really the biggest fan. I just you, don't get the big deal. Like all these true crime shows are just the, just the same. I don't really... Doesn't interest you? Not depends. I don't know. Not really. Some do, um, but yeah, I'm more into like you know ghosts and aliens. <laughs> That's my sort of jam. Okay. There'll be no ghosts or aliens here, but there will be murder. So <laughs> I'll be happy. <laughs> um, pretty much, I'm just gonna talk about like today will just be one case. I'd just tell him a story about the case that I find super interesting and see what he has to say. Let's see if I find it interesting at all probably not but that's why we're here (laughs) that's why we're here um well the first one i've done it's um happened in south africa chose it because south africa like south african is my favorite accent (laughs) i love it so i got to watch lots of footage hearing their accents which was lovely um also chose this one because it's a familiar side so well I probably shouldn't say it already because now I've kind of ruined the whole case. We'll just stop it there. We can talk about that later. So, I'm going to tell you the story of the Van Breda murders. Super interesting. I love this one. Let's go. I've heard a few, like, probably only on maybe two other podcasts. And it's just, it's just crazy to me how someone can do this. But anyway. All right, let's talk We'll get into it. Okay. So. So, following a move to Australia's Sunshine Coast for Martin's work, the Van Bredaar family returned back to their roots in South Africa, resettling into a gated housing estate in Stellenbosch. Where's that, do you know? In South Africa. No, but like what part? Like Johannesburg, Cape Town, or is that... None of the above. None of the above. Okay. (laughs) Off to a great start. (laughs) It was something called like the Dzolzo Estate or something like that. Anyway, no, Stellenbosch, that's the area. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Too many hard questions already. Um, so from the outside, the Van Breda family appeared to be picture perfect. Dad Martin, age 54, was a successful businessman and in 2015 lived with his wife, Teresa, and their three children, 22-year-old Rudy, 20-year-old Henry, and 16-year-old Marley. So two boys like, and a girl. I like the name Rudy. Yeah, it's quite cool, it's actually. Good, good South African. Uh, Rudy. I like and I like Marley. That's nice. So three kids, two boys, younger girl. She's still at high school and they came to Australia for a while. They went to university here 
and then they moved back and they were still kind of at There's you. There's a, he's got a wife, I didn't. Teresa. Mum, dad, Martin, Teresa and Perfect. kids. So, they were all happy living their best lives. But, tragedy struck. In January of that year, so that is in 2015, when the family was brutally attacked by an intruder in their own home. Martin, Teresa and Rudy were slaughtered by the man with an axe and Marley was severely injured. Henry managed to escape with some minor injuries and called emergency services to rescue the family. But he was far too late. Brutal. I'm telling you, this case is brutal. Mm, Sounds tasty already. (laughs) Right up my alley. Um, So just after 7am on January 27th, 2015, Henry Van Breda phoned 107, so... South Africa's like triple zero for us or nine one one to request quote many ambulances to the family's home in Stellenbosch because quote someone attacked my family. The one oh seven call lasted between twenty and thirty minutes, and the phone operator later testified in court that Henry was quote helpful in giving alternative street names. He didn't get angry, wasn't pressuring or getting agitated with me. He was just cool and calm. That I already, was the I already know where this is going. That was the weirdest reaction ever for me, end quote. Yeah, but just wait because, like, you can think it goes one way, but then you look into the evidence and it's it's it gets a bit confusing. Okay, well, I have a hunch as yeah. to what the end result will be, but we will yeah. see what happens. Okay. Um, in later testimony, the operator, Janine Philander, recalled that she initially thought the call was a prank due to Henry's apparent hesitancy and lack of urgency. So his family was just brutally murdered. He was attacked. Three are dead. And didn't seem a... He's quite calm. He's quite cool, calm, and collected, which is weird. Obviously, you wouldn't expect anyone. I would never be if my family was slaughtered. No, probably neither would I. Okay, Um, but let's not go to a head. (laughs) Let's go to their Van Breda home on the night of the January twenty sixth, two thousand fifteen. Which right now we're recording on January twenty sixth. Oh my god! There you go. (laughs) What are the chances? Whoa! That was not planned. I just no. looked up at the computer. That is wild. So, okay, the night before the uh, 107 call. Um, so just after 9pm that night, Martin and Teresa made their way to bed. Rudy and Henry went to the room that they shared and Rudy went to sleep around 11pm. Marley was in her room and by midnight, the house was quiet and everyone was asleep. I'm going to detail pretty gruesome events that took place that night, go. like I said. <laughs> I find it really interesting and shocking and I feel like it should be included to show like how disgusting the act was Mm -hmm. um, and how deranged the killer must have been. Like it's not just a quick come in, shoot him and leave. Like it's, it's wild. Harper in the background is uh, causing a ruckus. Sorry, that's our dog. (laughs) She's co-host. As the investigators processed the scene once after the 107 call and they came um, they were processing the scene, autopsies were being performed um, and then they were used to set out a timeline of events from that night. 22-year-old Rudy had the most injuries. She's so cute, she's sitting under the desk. She's our audience. She's so cute. Talking to her. Yeah, she's listening intense. She looks a bit scared actually. Um, yeah, so uh, Rudy was asleep at the beginning of the attack and then dragged off his bed and wrestled to the ground. He had some defensive wounds and his pinky finger was almost completely severed as he tried to protect his face. 
It was reported that the attack on Rudy was so brutal that, through an open window, blood splatter made its way to the neighbour's outside wall. Oh, yuck. Like, he was getting whacked with this axe. It's weird that, like, if he was protecting his face, only his, all of his fingers were almost severed. What's he doing like that? I'm just holding my pinky up in the air for everyone, for no one that can see what I'm doing. Like, was he just blocking his face with his pinky? You know, Um, his whole hand would be. Chopped off. You would, but I don't think that all of the lacerations were just to his head. Like, I think it was um, a full body his attack. back, uh, his back and his his uh, chest and stuff, not just his head. And he was oh, protecting okay. his head. Right. Um, and I'm sure, yes, his pinky was almost severed, but he would have had a lot of other cuts and stuff. Mm. That was just one of the main um, points. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's – he's got – there's blood spatter on the neighbour's Outside wall. Jesus. That's... That's crazy. Yeah. He would have been... a lot of blood. Yeah. Striking him like mad. It's like a Jackson Pollock painting. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere. Exactly. Um, So Martin, the dad, his body was found slumped over Rudy's bed with deep lacerations to his back. Pathologists concluded that he threw his body onto Rudy's to act as a shield and protect his son. This clearly didn't have the desired outcome and the attacker hit him with the axe over and over. Teresa and Marley were then found outside of Rudy's bedroom door as it is assumed that the commotion had woke them up and they went to investigate. I'm sure this attack was not quiet. There would have been no. screaming, yelling. I would not be investigating. I would be getting the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah. like, why would you want to? There's a maniac in your house. Why would you want to go and... Ooh. I know, I'll walk right up to him and say, well, what are you doing? You just get out. Like That's true. No, it's your family, but, you know. I'd You'd save be, yourself. I'd rather be alive and save myself. You'd save yourself. Yeah. So if I'm getting hacked to death by an axe in the bedroom. I'm taking the dog and my iPad and <laughs> protein powder and I'm booting. I'm out of He's here. He's out. Okay. Sorry, sorry, guys. So you'd be number one suspect then. <laughs> Probably. That's good to know. I feel really safe. Yeah. Um, yep, so Martin's been attacked Teresa and Molly, so mum and daughter, have come to see what's going on. The killer proceeded to attack the two in the hallway of the home, killing Teresa. She had minor defensive wounds. It was clear that the perpetrator had spotted the two and immediately launched the next brutal attack, allowing no time for them to escape. The evidence suggests that she fell to her knees and then was struck in the back of the head with the axe so hard that it shattered her skull. Poor thing. That is, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Marley, so 16-year-old Marley, she sustained multiple head injuries and a severed jugular vein, which if you know your anatomy, that's which what I do, Which I don't. <laughs> which I do. <laughs> I'm a nurse. So if, yeah, jugular vein that's in your neck, one of the main veins um, returning to the heart from the oh, brain. Okay, so right. you cut that, you're dead. Game over. <laughs> Yes, however, miraculously, she survived the attack. She was in a critical condition um, and required extensive surgeries in order to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time that the police came, she was still alive. According to Henry, he was in the bathroom while everyone else was asleep. Of course, just happened to be awake and asleep. Um, Sorry, awake in the bathroom. Um, When he came out, he saw a tall, dark man in a mask walk into the bedroom he shared with his brother. Before Henry could stop him, the intruder attacked the sleeping man with an axe, being Rudy, hacking him over and over again. Henry called for help, at which point his dad, Martin, came running to Rudy's aid. Henry, paralysed with shock, was unable to move from the bathroom. This is his account. So he went to the bedroom to investigate, but now he's in the bathroom. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is from his story. Okay. Um, he saw the assailant kill his father from where he moved on to his mother and his sister. The axeman then moved in on Henry and allegedly laughed as he aimed to hit the 20-year-old. Henry wrestled the masked man who dropped the axe and took out a knife, stabbing Henry in the torso before fleeing the scene. Henry picked up the axe and threw it at the man but missed and the axe wedged into the stairway wall. From the wall, it fell onto the tiles where the police found it the next morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the attack. That's the attack. Brutal, right? Um, I'll show you some crime scene photos. We'll have them up on our Instagram with the trigger warning. Very bloody. Um, Can't wait to see those. Yeah. I'll show you them. That's the axe. That's a big axe. Yeah. That is huge. That's what they cut trees off with, yeah? Yeah, do some serious damage with that bad boy. That was it in the wall, like stuck into the floor after. Into the floor. Yeah. So he threw it. He tried to throw it at the guy. It went into the wall, mm-hmm. and then it's by coincidence, by coincidence, landed exactly with the axe handle exactly. down and in the tiles. Perfect. That's exactly perfectly what done. Yep. Wow. Yeah. In in the frenzy that was the attack. Something's not adding up. <laughs> you reckon? Um, yeah. So that's the attack. Neighbors reportedly heard. Raised voices coming from inside the family home that night. The next morning, following the 107 call, authorities made the horrific discovery of the bodies of Martin, Teresa and Rudy, who had all been hacked to death with the axe. Marley was in a critical condition and rushed to hospital. After months of intensive rehabilitation and therapy, police were eager to speak with Marley, so she survived. Oh, amazing. Um, They were eager to speak to her to learn her version of what happened that night. Unfortunately, Marley had no recollection of the attack at all. She was diagnosed with retrograde amnesia, meaning she couldn't remember anything from the attack and also nothing from the week leading up to the attack. Would that be from her jugular? Well, head head injuries, injuries, yeah. Yeah. Um, Traumatic brain injuries equal these kinds of things, 100%. That's what it's from. And the doctors told the police that her memory will probably never come back. Mm -hmm. So that whole chunk is gone. She's one of... One of two only survivors and she we don't, she can't tell us her side. In the following days, Henry gave statements to police claiming that a well-built black intruder was to blame. Of course. We'll go, there. We'll go there. No, well, just in general, they always just go there, don't they? He described a man wearing gloves and a balaclava breaking into the family home. At the time, police believed that the attacker had moved quickly through the home with the sole intention of murder. During the initial stages of the investigation, Henry's version of events seemed plausible, as he too had sustained some minor lacerations. It is also reported that South Africa had a high crime rate at the time, therefore the whole community was living in fear that their family might be next. They think a random is running around. A random axe maniac yeah, running around. exactly. I will say the, um, the, the gloves and balaclava is just like the most... Stock standard mm-hmm. description of what any a tall black man yeah. with a balaclava, clava and gloves. I'm like, yeah, right. Like, yeah, couldn't something's have something's a bit fishy. Couldn't have been creative with that one. No. 
Um, could have thrown in like, you know, he was wearing like Air Force Ones <laughs> or was he wearing black Air Forces or, you know, yeah, like a bandana on or a chain, you know, something to identify make him. it seems like he actually got a good look at this bloke. And Which apparently he did because they were yeah. attacking they were, each they other. They were wrestling, threw, yeah. Through the axe after him, like. Yeah, so you'd think you'd be able to, you know, smell what he had for breakfast and stuff, but. <laughs> apparently not. not. So, everyone's living in fear. But doubt set in for investigators after discovering the time it took for Henry to call emergency services following the attack. Court papers revealed that Henry had initially called his girlfriend numerous times before 5am on the 27th, but they were not answered. So he called her well before attempting to call emergency services for help. He called his girlfriend while his family's dying, bleeding out, dead. Strange decision. Yeah. But you don't know what you would do in that situation. You think you'd run out of the house and just save yourself. So... Who knows? I guess in the end. Who knows? you do crazy things. Who knows? I guess so. Um, so after he called his girlfriend, he then searched the internet for local emergency numbers, not calling for help until nearly three hours later. Why would you? Wouldn't you know? <laughs> the, like, I, I don't need to search. I don't need to go on Google to search like triple zero. Triple zero. You just know what it is or you know it's 911. What do you need to go on Google for? Like, like, That's his, that was his explanation. Yeah, but Maybe... The only thing I can think of is maybe he thought there would be like a more specialised kind of thing to call. But even still, that's clutching at straws. That is. And bit. you just call whatever the triple zero number is straight away. Yeah. The other thing, the other reason could be because they had just moved back. They were living in Australia. Perhaps he forgot the number. But even so, you'd have to be pretty dumb, yeah. to be honest. Like, I think well, if you asked a four-year-old, what do you do in emergency, they'd like... Who do you call? They would know. Triple zero here. So I'm sure they would know the same there. It's not that hard. It's three numbers. But that's his explanation. So three hours it took him to call. When he was asked to account for the gap in time, he claims that he had lost consciousness after the scuffle with the attacker. But he has this phone records of him calling his girlfriend. And he has no head injuries. But that's okay. He lost But a few other minor... Yes. Lessons, but none to the head. I'm going to show you his injuries. Cool. Can't wait. They're quite... Um, he's fine, pretty much. Okay. So not... not <laughs> Nothing gruesome. Playing fast and loose with the term injuries. No. Exactly. Um, it was also discovered that no valuables were taken from the home and there was no sign of forced entry. In addition, the gated community where the family lived was considered medium security, security and one of the safest places to live in South Africa. There were motion detectors, an alarm system, 24-hour security guard patrol, access-controlled gates, and an electric fence. And there was no evidence of unlawful entry into the estate the night of the murders. I wonder where this is going. <laughs> I wonder. So, if we're going the, like down the path that it's an intruder, you would have to think they know the family, they were invited in, and then it happened, or... How can you get in through all of that and then get back out, not being seen, yeah, not exactly. being spotted? Or not, you know, even having to break a window or mm-hmm. bust a lock or something like that, you know? Yeah. So you'd think the yeah. other only other plausible thing is that they knew the family. Yeah. But they had like maybe they knew where they kept their spare key. Yeah. Or something like that. Who knows? But it's gated community, so you have to like go through have you seen those like on like literally what's an example? You have to go through like a big set of like main big gates, gates to yeah, get and the security the guard before oh, okay, it's right. it's like a, then a little town even in yeah. there. Yeah, okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, when the police arrived at the scene and met with Henry, he was covered in blood, which forensic testing determined to be that to be from both his parents and his brother. The court also heard that many, if not all, of his injuries had been self-inflicted. I, I knew it was going down this path. I didn't want to say anything because, you know, it's the first episode, if you guys can't tell, because we're not very good at this. We're very good. Um, I just knew this was going to be the the situation. You're a good I detective. A, yeah, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes is on the case. <laughs> well, so he had a cut mark on his chest. He had, sorry, he had cut marks on his chest that were superficial and non-fatal. Incisions had an equal depth, were parallel, and avoided sensitive areas like the nipples. The chest injuries were in reachable areas for self-infliction. Okay. So his family were hacked. Blood reached the neighbor's wall. And he's just, And know, he's got a few little scratched slides. his Scratched, scratched his, his chest. chest from having, you know, some long fingernails or, <laughs> or something. I will show you his injuries. They'll also be on the Instagram. Um, that True Crime Podcast is the handle. <laughs> find us I there. I think. Find us there. That True Crime 48 point. followers strong. 49. 49. There Excuse you go. Excuse me. Who will get us to 50? Yeah, maybe we'll do a we'll little. Give you a, we'll give you a shout out. <laughs> we'll send you a gift basket if you get us to 50 yeah. followers. Whoever you are. Whoever you are. Um, so I'm going to sh- show. First I'll show you him in the ambulance. That's him. So remember, his family was hacked to death. That's him. Just chilling. Looks like so- his, for those that can't see, those his quote-unquote wounds look like someone's just drawn it on with a red sharpie. They're superficial, like, meaning they don't go yeah, there's through one, much skin. Like, you know, almost shoulder height on his right chest, and then there's yeah the same one directly across, and then just one almost going down to his nipple um, on the other part of his chest. And, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't look like he's just seen his whole family been... <laughs> yeah to death no it's, yeah i'm looking at a close-up version now it looks like someone's just drawn it on with a sharpie or something it, well it is um scratches like it's legit scratches um this is a like an animated kind of version that they showed in court oh, so you can right. see so there is a this what's that a bit there's something a bit lower like that looks is that like a there, there he does have a stab wound but they're saying that's a self-inflicted mm-hmm. stab wound. Right. I knew it was... I knew don't this was going to happen. I knew. I knew. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was another bit of... bit concerning for the police investigating. Um, following the attack, Henry was initially living with Teresa's brother and wife, who were now his and Marley's legal guardian. Once Marley was released from treatment, she moved in with the uncle too, and Henry had to move out as they were actually not allowed to talk to each other yet because Marley hadn't given a proper statement to police. Uh, so, so couldn't really... Yeah, in case he fed her some, you know, he coerced her exactly. into saying stuff Making that wasn't stuff true. Up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he moved out. And I also read that um, five months after the murder... Henry and Marley were allowed to see each other under supervision. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Marley was really happy to see him. Um, so, she clearly has no yeah, idea. Yeah, that makes sense because, yeah, if yeah. she knew, if she had any idea of what had happened, she wouldn't be, yeah, wouldn't be, you know, she super excited. Quite to, scared. Yeah, exactly. Or at least, you know, slightly apprehensive. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they saw each other. It was just a once-off meeting, I think, from what I could understand. Um, and then Marley returned to school later that year. Mm-hmm. So she's quite resilient. She was 
really badly yeah, well, I guess it kind of, you know, I guess it kind of helps that she can't remember anything. She, yeah, she yeah know, that's true. She can just go about to her as if nothing happened, mm. really. Just the physical. Yeah, just the physical um, effects. Very true. Um, yeah, so old mate Henry, he allegedly broke up with his girlfriend and became a recluse. So he pretty much stayed in his room, drank alcohol, lived Incel, on takeaway. behaviour. behaviour, absolutely. We like that word now, don't we? Now it's that we know word. what it means. <laughs> now we don't know what it means. Yeah. It's a good word. Yeah. He just had takeaway, alcohol, binged, watched shows, you know, didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, investigators learnt through family and friends that Henry was always the black sheep of the family. He was an introvert compared to his brother, Rudy, who apparently the parents favoured over Henry. Rumours also spread that Martin and Teresa were threatening to cut off Henry financially because of his alleged drug addiction. So these are demonstrating possible motives. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was just a big happy family, obviously no, there's no excuse for doing that to your family. But these are, in a, I guess, a psychopath's mind reasons to, if it was him, reasons to make it okay. Mm. He, they were going to cut him off. They were very yeah. wealthy. Um, he was doing drugs with that money and, you know, going down a bad path. They were going to cut him off allegedly. So, yeah, there are a few motives in the air and that might explain why he would do such a thing to his own family um, and also why the police were closing in on him as the um, prime suspect. So, the trial. Who was charged? What happened? Let's go. go there. After a year and a half of investigations, Henry and his lawyers were informed that he would essentially be arrested soon. They were coming in for him mm-hmm. unless he handed himself in. So, he so they, they already had the, they were under the suspicion that it was. A year and a half later, they yeah. were like, yeah, we're coming to arrest you. Unless you they know that he's. Their evidence shows they believe, it obviously has to go to trial and have to get proved in court, but they believe it's him. It's him. He's done it. It's an inside job. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so he handed himself in on the 13th of June, 2016. So a year and a half after the January 2015. How did it take them a year and a half to figure out that. Like, you have to. You can figure it out, long, but you have surely. to have you have to have hard evidence to go to trial. If you just say, "Well, he did it," because you can't just have circumstantial evidence saying, "Well, they were going to cut him off," and blah blah blah. You have to have physical, forensic evidence, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have known probably from the first week, but you can't arrest someone and then so prove it in court unless you have. So they had to do a big investigation first. Okay, sure. So he was arrested on the 13th and then released on 100,000 Rand bail the next day. So, so I think probably Rand, like five Australian bucks. <laughs> I think I read it. I think it was, yeah. It wasn't much, but it was Not more than that, like a couple thousand. Okay. So Rand is the, like the Australian dollar in South Africa. He was ordered to report to the local police station regularly. So I'm pretty sure every day. So he couldn't, he was probably a flight risk. He would um, run away <laughs> pretty yeah, much. So they, they were out of him to check in. Yeah. Out of their jurisdiction. So, yeah, he had to check in and stuff um, very regularly. Um, in September of that year, so we're in 2016. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> we might edit that out. We'll see. In September of that year, Henry and his girlfriend were arrested on drug possession charges and again released on bail and the original trial for that murder charges... Um, Sorry, the original trial for the murder charges was pushed back again. I do not understand this. 
How can he be arrested for a triple homicide, released, and then arrested a few months later on drug possession and just be released again? I know. And then it keeps getting pushed back. Yeah. Surely, you know, you've got him a second time in there. Just do it then. Like, yeah. What's the point? That should be a reason to hold yeah. him, not to release, release him bail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me, but they were released. And then the triple homicide murder case began on the 4th of April, 2017. So another so year two later. years after this all happened. It mm-hmm. finally... Two years. And it didn't end until May of 2018. So that went for over a year. Three years. They are slacking in South Africa. I think maybe that's not the case. I think obviously they had to do the full investigation. Then, yeah, it was pushed back for whatever reason. But the trial went for over a year. I think it was like 13 months. Um, They would have had so many witnesses, so much um, evidence to like the prosecution side. Both sides would have had to go. It would have been a lot. So that's why it goes for so long. Um, so in that time, essentially the prosecutors presented all the evidence that we've discussed, um, and obviously way, way more, but I can't through, go through everything. Be here for all day. We would. Um, another key piece of evidence that was displayed, um, when the prosecutor asked Henry to reenact the fight that took place with the, um, intruder that night, he had props like given to him, like a fake ax and a knife and things like mm. that. And he pretty much performed the whole thing like a choreographed routine. Okay, because I was going to say, I thought thought you were going to say, oh, he couldn't remember. And I'd be like, you know what? Fair enough. It happened three years ago. I wouldn't remember exactly how it happened, even though it was that traumatic. But yeah, if he's got it down, Pat's, you know, every single thing, then... (laughs) Well, my next sentence was, the prosecutor told 60 Minutes Australia that she would have expected him to explain that in some way he couldn't remember what really happened. There There was a scuffle. He somehow got the axe out of his hand, threw it, something happened and... How good am I? I (laughs) Detective. You should be a journalist. (laughs) You should be an investigator. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't think about anything like traumatic or overwhelming or like adrenaline pumping that happens. You don't... You just go, oh, like what just happened? You don't remember. He remembered. you remember like bits and pieces. Mm. Not like every you can't reenact thing it. That happened, yeah. However, he reenacted the whole thing, and there's footage of that. Um, will we post that on our Instagram as well, or not? We will. Okay. If we find a short clip. If we can edit it down. Yeah, alrighty. Had that true crime podcast on Instagram <laughs> and TikTok. Follow us. There too. Yeah, follow us on TikTok. Even though we might we might post something, so stay tuned. Quality content there will be on TikTok. Um, yeah. So it was very bizarre. Um, that he claimed to remember step by step what happened before he passed out for three hours too. So he then passed out. So that that's an altered state of consciousness, but you remember what had just happened. Mm. So it's not very believable. No. Three and a half years after the Van Bredar family were attacked, Henry Van Bredar stood in court at the end of a lengthy trial to learn his fate. What do you think's gonna, what's gonna? I think, think they're gonna find him guilty <laughs> of murder. Murder. So. Judge, I'm saying so a lot and I'm a lot. I'm very sorry. I'll get used to not doing that. Just start the sentence off with the word. Yes. Judge Siraj Desai didn't believe his claims of innocence, describing his rampage as, quote, savage and vicious with an utmost unprecedented degree of disregard for one's family. Quote, each murderous attack on a family member is a severe crime and warrants the severest punishment, the judge told the court. 
another quote, they were they were attacks involving a high degree of uncontrolled violence. The victims were unarmed and they faced an axe-wielding son or brother, probably not expecting the worst. We have heard no explanation and you have shown no remorse. In the end, the judge handed down three life sentences for the murders of Martin, Teresa and Rudy and a 15-year sentence for the attempted murder of his sister, as well as an additional 12 months for obstruction of justice. Meaning he you know, led them astray for... Most of their time. Yeah, pretty much. Could have... Right. I thought they were going to... I So the... I thought they were going to say, oh, they found like he hired someone to come in and do it, not him. Because I thought it seemed pretty certain that there was actually someone in there. So I thought, yeah, like he'd hired someone, hired a hitman to come in and kill them. And then, you know, he just got the guy to just put a couple scratches on him. But I didn't realise it was actually... That's so interesting. him the whole time. Yeah, I thought he was... Oh my God, I didn't know you were thinking it down there. hitman job. No, it was Henry. There you go, Henry. bugger. Wow. Disgusting. Naughty boy Henry. Yep. Um, today, Henry is serving his time in prison in South Africa. He was recently transferred to a new facility because he was attacked. Don't blame him. <laughs> Don't blame him for attacking him. Kind of, you get what, you know. Yep. What comes, goes what around, goes, comes around, <laughs> exactly. buddy boy. If you attack them, they'll, someone will attack you. Um, apparently it was a gang member that attacked him, but it's do we really care? <laughs> no. That's tough. Shout out to Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> So Marley Vambrida, she was just 16 years old at the time of the attack and has kept um, pretty private life since. Don't blame her either. I couldn't find much information, to be honest, on her, but I think that's fair enough. Like everything was so public. Maybe they've changed, you know, it happens in America a lot. You know, maybe they've moved off to somewhere, mm. changed their names, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just private life, start, start fresh, that sort of deal. Yeah, which you would kind of want to do. You don't want to yeah. be associated with that. Exactly. So... That's the story. Wow. That is the end of episode one. Of the first case. Pretty crazy. Pretty messed up how someone can do that to their own family. Mm -hmm. You just, it's unbelievable to be honest. I'll be honest. I was expecting something a little bit more gruesome. Really? Um, Yeah. That's not gruesome enough for you? No. Starting us off slow. All right. Um, Now I know. Yeah. I can amp it up. Up the ante, Mm -hmm. please. Yeah. Yeah. Well cool yeah just stay tuned and we'll see you next week thanks for listening bye everyone (laughs)